Dane. Good morning to everybody. Great to be here today, I'm telling you. Spring's almost here. I keep saying that. I've been saying that for about a month or so now, and some people haven't taken it very seriously, but uh, it is coming. But it's great to be here, and as I said, even if it were stormy and cold outside, it's warm in here as we come together to worship God. That, that being together for that purpose, that provides a great deal of spiritual warmth. It's good to be together. If you're visiting with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. You're already a blessing to us, and we pray that your being here will be a blessing for you. And if you have uh, not yet filled, filled out sometime while you're here, a visitor's card, there should be one in the back of the seat in front of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, just leaving it on your seat so we have a record of your presence here today. We'd appreciate that. We hope that you will be encouraged and strengthened as we study God's word together and worship him, give him glory and honor and praise through our time together here today. And if this is your first time here at Sunny Slope, we keep saying we just want to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So pretty basic, fundamental, down to earth, but staying with the scriptures. And so if you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us say or teach, please ask us because we just want to fill that role. We're going to continue today with a general theme that I began last Sunday. And as I said, for about three Sundays before my wife and I left town for a, for a vacation, I was talking about the reality of the devil. And I was trying to encourage us that, that don't let the devil win in your life. He's always out there. Peter describes him as like being like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And that's you and me, he's looking for. And so we emphasize, don't let him win in your life. Don't give in to him. And then ultimately the third lesson in that series was you can beat the devil. With God's help, you can beat the devil. In fact, James chapter four, verse seven says that. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. And so that's important for us to understand. A lot of people don't want to think there's a real devil out there. Some of them want to believe in God, but they don't want to believe in the devil. Well, both are real, but God is superior and all-powerful. And so last Sunday, I, I began saying, okay, what do we do? If I want to grow in my faith, if I want to, if I want to change my life, if I want to turn my life around and get on a better course, what do I do? How do I, how do I walk in righteousness, godliness. And so we said it begins by loving God. We've got to recognize that God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son into this world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3 and verse 16. As Paul put it in Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God has already demonstrated in such a vivid way his love for us. If we want to be right with him, then we need to love him. And that love is going to lead us to be obedient to his teachings. I appreciate Dane reading in John chapter 21, those several verses a few moments ago. And so I'd like to follow that particular theme today by talking about our love for God, our love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you love me more than these? Jesus asked Peter. Well, he asked Simon Peter, and, and when you think about, when you read the accounts in the four gospel accounts there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about Jesus' relationship with the apostles, those 12, there seemed to have been kind of 
and I'm not sure it's the right way to describe it, but we can relate to it that way, kind of an inner circle with among them of Peter, James, and John. They seem to have been a little bit closer to Jesus through his ministry. And remember the Mount of Transfiguration? He took them with him. When it came to the night of his betrayal at, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he took the apostles with him, but then Peter, James, and John, he took a little farther into the garden, then left them at that particular point, went on to be by himself and pray to God. So it seemed to be a little bit closer there. And, and Peter, we look at Peter, and, and I can relate to Peter, not, not necessarily in every way. I'm not suggesting that, that on a level of being a divinely appointed apostle, because those days are past. But Peter, at times, he was impetuous. And, and there were times when he spoke out verbally without having his brain fully in gear, probably, I think we can understand. He's rather impetuous, so I could relate to that. I've, I've struggled with that in different times in my life, through much of my life. But here in John chapter 21, Jesus asked Peter a very profound, soul-searching question that troubled Peter greatly. After his resurrection, and this particular account takes place this is the third time Jesus appeared to his apostles after his resurrection from that tomb. Now, the occasion was the apostles were out fishing. Peter, Andrew, James, John were all professional fishermen. But it, it, it seems to indicate that all the apostles were out fishing that particular night, but they caught nothing. And so then they heard this voice from a man off on the shore, far away, and he said, he said, uh, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Now, again, Peter, James, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were professional fishermen. And so they'd been fishing all night with the rest of the apostles and caught nothing. And here is this man off on the shore, off in the distance, and he said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And so they did. And it, the, the indication in the text is that almost immediately their net was filled with so many large fish. They'd been fishing all night, caught nothing, and now cast their net on the other side of the boat. And almost immediately their net was filled with so many large fish they could not even drag it into the boat. John, perceptive in that moment in time, he speaks out and says, It is the Lord. And Peter, impetuous Peter again, jumps into the water and swims to shore, leaving the rest of the apostles back there to row the boat to shore, dragging the net along behind them because they couldn't get it in the boat. It was so full, so heavy. Well, so John chapter 21 and verse 15. When they get to the shore, all of the apostles, they find indeed that was Jesus speaking to them, telling them cast the net on the other side of the boat. And a miraculous kind of filling of that net, gathering those fish together at the right time, at the right place, I, I think we can understand that. Jesus speaking from the perspective of deity, omniscience, God the Son. And so after, after they got there, they saw that Jesus had already prepared a meal for them of bread and fish. Now, because my mind is inquisitive, I naturally wonder, where to get the bread and fish to prepare the meal for them? Was that a miraculous kind of meal that he had prepared for them? Perhaps. 
Remember, he fed 4,000 at one time and 5,000 at another time from just a few what we might call morsels of food. But anyway, he has this meal prepared for them and they sit down and they eat. And then in verse 15 of John chapter 21, Jesus addresses Peter specifically and directly. And he says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I, I suspect Peter was somewhat taken aback emotionally. And so he responds, yes, I, I, I love you more than these. But what are the these that Jesus is referring to? It's not specifically stated. I think we almost instinctively think we understand that he's probably saying, do you love me more than these, your brothers, your brother apostles here, your brother followers of me? Do you love me more than these? But it's not specified. We just kind of conjecture that that is what he is referring to. Well, perhaps that is the most likely correct understanding, but I'd like for us to analyze a little bit deeper and probably look at it from even a broader perspective than what we might pick up just in that specific setting on that specific day. Do you love me more than these? Well, Jesus commanded that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're also instructed in the scriptures to love our physical family members and even to love our neighbors. We look at different passages of scripture. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The night of his betrayal, the next day he's going to be on the cross. Now this immediate context of scripture is one of the longest in the New Testament, if not in the entire Bible. It begins in John chapter 13, goes all the way through John chapter 17. They're in a room, an upper room together, Jesus and the 12 apostles, and he's giving them some, some final instructions before he knows he's going to be on the cross the next day. Now, they don't know that, but he's telling them all kinds of different things, giving them all kinds of instructions, telling them he's going to pray to the Holy Spirit or pray to the Father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to guide them into all truth, bring to their remembrance all things that he had taught them, a whole lot of which had kind of gone over their head or in one ear out the other or they'd forgotten about. And he said, but now, Spirit of truth, he's going to come and he's going to help you remember and he's also going to guide you into all truth, but he teaches them other things too, like humbly serving one another as he washes the feet of each one of those by way of example. And the 17th chapter is a prayer for the apostles that God would help them stay strong and faithful and also, then in verses, verse 21, he, he switches the emphasis to all who would ever become his followers, that they would be united in him, believing, teaching, and practicing the same thing. Now, he's gone to the cross. He was crucified. Brutal form of execution. Perhaps one of the most brutal public forms of execution that mankind has ever devised. And he's died on that cross. That was the fulfillment of his coming as our Savior. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. But anybody could have gone to that cross claiming to be the Savior 
Anybody could have allowed himself to be put to death on that cross, claiming to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah and been a fraud. But when he died, two secret followers, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus came to him, or came to the, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. He granted it to them. They took his body, put it in a new tomb in a garden nearby where he had been crucified. And then on the third day, we know the story, don't we? And that proved beyond any shadow of a doubt. It proved by the power of God that he truly is whom he said he is. And everything he taught while he was going through his ministry for three to three and a half years upon this earth is absolutely true and from God because he arose from that tomb. He arose from the grave. He began presenting himself alive to people around him. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses or six verses or so, he says, at one time, he appeared to more than 500 at once, at one time, and Paul says, and most of those are still alive to this day. Paul wrote this many years after that. And so before he ascends back to heaven, during that 40 years of presenting himself risen before numerous individuals, proving that he is the son of God, here he is with the apostles this third time. And he asks them, he asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Well, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, on that night before he went to the cross, he, can, he gave a new commandment to the apostles. And of course, it's a, a commandment to us today as well. A new commandment, he said, I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You need to love each other as I've loved you. He just died for them. Or he is about to die for them. That's how much he loved them. That's how much he loves us. Because he died for us. So that we could have the opportunity to be forgiven through the blood shed on the cross. As we're baptized into him for the remission of our sins. Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16. Truly loving God includes loving God's family, the church. As John the Apostle wrote years later, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 4 and verse 7. And then verses 20 and 21, if, some, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. And I think we're talking about specifically brothers in Christ at this point. In chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So it's easy to speak words saying, Oh, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's something else to put it into practice through our behavior toward those brothers and sisters in Christ. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ are still human, and sometimes we do things or we act in ways that aren't very lovable. But Jesus says, this is a commandment. You love each other anyway. And it's not just a purely emotional-driven love, but it's a love of commitment, of will, 
You're determined because of who you are and what you are. You are different from the world around you. You are Christians. You are my followers, my disciples. Now, we're to love God foremost in our life, above all others. Matthew chapter 27, verses 37 through 39, Jesus had been asked, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, he says. But then he added another. He said, there's a second like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think I've ever seen a time in my life, and I've been around a few years, where I've observed so much animosity and hatred and rage as I'm seeing in our society, our culture in this country right now. Now, I know there's wars going on and there's conflicts all over the world. That's the way it always is. But in our land right now, I don't think I've ever seen such anger and hatred and rage as what we're experiencing on such a widespread basis as what we're observing right now. But Jesus says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to be the example, the example of the different way of that kind of Christian love. Husbands and wives are told to love each other as Christ loves the church, his spiritual body. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and also verse 28, the apostle Paul wrote, Wives, love your own husbands as to the Lord. We need to think about that. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. That gives us husbands great pause for thought, doesn't it? He who loves his wife loves himself. And then Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus, though, puts it into perspective. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ loved us. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to love our spouse as Christ has loved the church. But God, Jesus, come first. Matthew 10 and verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter, daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But now does that mean we, we say it does not diminish the love that we're to have for these we are instructed and commanded to love. But it says we need to understand that that love comes from God's love for us, which we are to mirror in the image of our lives our love for him and that kind of love, that degree of love is going to guide us to love those around us in specific identities, but also just our neighbor. We're to be people of love. So was Jesus asking Peter in reference to the apostles, his, his brothers, spiritual brothers around him, those with whom Peter had lived to a great extent of time with and, and, and done work serving the Lord, teaching and everything, learning from him as well for the past three or so years, was he saying, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, you know, I, I love you. Well, they had just finished eating a meal. They had just finished eating a meal. Could Jesus have been asking, 
Do you love me more than the food I've just provided for you? Do you love me more than the food necessary for your physical nourishment? In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and this would have been some years before during his public ministry, Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, he says, for they neither sow nor reap. In other words, they don't plant crops. They don't gather into barns. They don't gather a harvest, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then the lesson Jesus is trying to get across there in that text. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And then verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things shall be added unto you. Trust God to watch over you and to bless you in your needs as you walk in faithfulness consistently before God, as you've dedicated your life to him. Psalm 55 and verse 22, the psalmist wrote, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. They just finished eating a meal. Could that have been the focus of Jesus' question, Do you love me more than these? Where is our focus in life? Are we more caught up in the material things, the possessions, the necessities of life? If we took more time to go back to Matthew chapter 6 there and read further in that particular text, Jesus is talking about the necessities of life. And he still concludes by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you love me more than these? Look, let's look at that particular setting and that meal that they had just eaten and that monster load of fish that they had just pulled ashore from the perspective of Peter's profession. He was a professional fisherman. Could Jesus have been possibly referring to that load of fish they had just taken in? Now, Peter could have looked at that, that catch Again, so, so huge that they, all, all the apostles couldn't even pull it into the boat. They had to drag it behind the boat as they rowed ashore. Could Peter have been looking at that and thinking, we're going to make a lot of money off this catch? And could that have been what Jesus was referring to possibly, at least in part, when he said, do you love me more than these? Well, let's go back to that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at another particular part of that context. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. <clears throat> Jesus is laying out, let not the materialism the monies, the things that money can buy in this world be your main driving force in your life. 
all of that stuff ultimately is related to this world and it's going to decay away eventually. Or if any of it is still here, when the Lord comes again, it's going to be burned up. I've told the story many times about, I believe it was Marshall Keeble. Again, a mighty gospel preacher from days gone by. African-American, helped convert thousands of people to Christ. And he was preaching in a gospel meeting somewhere in Texas, I believe. And, and so one of the members brought him to his home, his ranch, to feed him after services, I believe, that Sunday morning. And then he took him after they ate and got him in his helicopter. We're talking about Texas now. And flew him all around his ranch, showing him all that he possessed. And after a while, he asked Brother Keeble, what do you think? I don't think he was expecting Brother Keeble's answer. He said, I think it's all going to burn up one day. <laughs> and that's the way it is with the materialism of this world. And so Jesus said, that's not where you need to set your real heart, your, your treasure, your focus in life. But rather, you need to be focused on getting to heaven. Because wherever your treasure is in your mindset, that's where your heart's going to be. And that's going to be the driving influence and force in your life. Being with Jesus is worth more than all the treasures of the world. He gave these two illustrations to try to get that point across. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. He said, the kingdom of heaven, that is being saved, eternal life in heaven, all of eternity. He said, it's like, it's, it's like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Because the treasure in that field was worth more than all he had to begin with. And then he goes on and he says, another illustration. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it because that was worth more than all that he had before that. But he was not giving a lesson on physical, material, monetary treasure. He said, I'm using illustrations to get across to you that nothing in this world, nothing that you can possess if you possessed everything in this world begins to compare with the value of being with me in heaven for all of eternity. Nothing of this world, including all of its riches, and think about all the things we focus on, clothes and cars and houses, electronics, and go, the list goes on and on, compares with the value of being in Christ, forgiven, redeemed, saved. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, what things were gained to me, the apostle Paul was writing, and he had a prestigious place in this world before he became a Christian. We would look back even from that point on and say he still had a prestigious place in the eyes of God. But in the eyes of his fellow men, he had a prestigious position, powerful position before he became a Christian. He says, what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
that I may gain Christ. He had learned that getting to heaven is all that matters. Well, all the things of this world, all the money that, that we could gather during our lifetime, could that have been part of the focus at least of what Jesus meant when he was asking Peter, do you love me more than these? We certainly got caught up in materialism, don't we? In careers, do you love me more than these? What about rising to levels of professionalism and social success and recognition within our culture, within our society and, and prestige and all of those things? Could that have been something that Jesus, at least by implication, was trying to stir our minds as we read that scripture text with him and Peter? Do you love me more than these? In James chapter 4 and verse 10, and this is a particular instruction that we see over and over and over again throughout the Bible. James brings it back again. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Keep our mindset focused. Keep it humble before our God because whatever abilities, capabilities that we might possess, whatever opportunities for true good that we have had presented before us in our lifetimes, they're blessings from God. You go back to James chapter 1 and, and verse 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or no, no variation or shadow of turning. Every, every good, truly good thing in our life is a blessing from God. Well, a lot of people are really seeking after position and prominence and recognition and power and authority. Do you love me more than these? What about, do you find yourself compromising your dedication and commitment to God and Jesus for recreational pursuits? Could that have been a focus? Or at least, again, simply with the question, could it stir in our thinking, in our mindset, is there anything, is there anything that I would put before my love for Jesus, before my love for God? We take vacations, do we still make sure we take time to worship God on those trips away? Some Saturday night, are we still going through those mental gymnastics, emotional gymnastics in our mind? Am I going to go to church tomorrow morning? Am I going to sleep in? Am I going to go visit family? See, do we find ourselves compromising? our dedication and commitment to God through recreational pursuits or other things that we just want to do for our own personal pleasure and putting God and Christ in the background. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, for bodily exercise profits a little. He's not, he's not putting it down saying it's not of any value. He says it profits a little. All of us at times need to sit back and kind of kick our feet up and just relax and enjoy ourselves in some way. And maybe that's through some recreational pursuit as well. But we need to keep it in perspective. And Paul does that here. He says bodily exercise 
it's, it's profitable for a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So it benefits us in this life, but also it guides us and points toward eternal life in heaven. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. The Hebrews writer here is talking about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. He says solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Are you developing your spiritual muscles? Or are you focused more on the pleasures, the excitement that recreational pursuits or whatever connected with that might cause? Do you love me more than these? Jesus died so that we can have eternal life with him in heaven. We need to stay focused on that blessing and on that goal, eternal life in heaven. I've said many, many times over decades of teaching and preaching, if we don't get to heaven, we've been a failure in life. A lot of people would take exception with that. They'd start pointing, wait a minute, I did this, I accomplished this, I reached this position within society. None of that matters if you don't get to heaven. If you don't get to heaven, your life's been a failure because there's only one other alternative and you, can, you know what that is. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, the prophet writes, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, what did Jesus do for us? He died on that cross bearing the guilt of our sins. As the Apostle Paul wrote, he, he, that is God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the, righteous, the righteousness of God in him. God and Christ, God the Father and God the Son, did that for us. If you go back to Philippians chapter 2 and read, or, or, or uh, Colossians chapter 1, I think maybe it is, go back and, and read that text where Paul is talking about his pedigree, basically, his position. And then as we read earlier, he said, oh, I've count all that loss to be in Christ. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul learned the lesson. Paul learned the focus. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. The devil will try to get our thinking sidetracked in all kinds of different ways and in all kinds of different directions. But we need to stay focused on the most important thing. In fact, Paul said, this one thing I do. He wanted to be with his Lord in heaven for all of eternity.
In John chapter 14 and verse 15, we need to show true love for God, true love for our Lord and Savior by obeying his teachings, giving him our best. Jesus said on that night before his betrayal and his crucifixion, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And that is the instruction for us today. We cannot allow anybody or anything to come before our love for Jesus. So we can stop and you can even, you, you, you can even think of, I'm sure, more possibilities of understanding or by way of implication at the very least to Jesus' question to Peter, do you love me more than these? Is there anything... You might not verbalize it, but does your life demonstrate anything that you're putting before walking in faithful obedience with your Lord? Were Jesus to ask you right now pertaining to any and all situations in your life, how would you answer? If he asked you, do you love me more than these? Are you ready to become a Christian today? Repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ as the Lord and Savior, God's Son, surrendering to him, being buried in the waters of baptism so the blood that he shed on that cross for you can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. And you can be reborn, John 3, 3 through, 6, uh, 3 through 5, made new spiritually, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Redeemed forgiven, saved. Do you need to study about that some more to make sure you understand just what God expects and what he teaches us along that line? Just ask us. We're ready to help you in whatever way we can. Do you need the prayers of the church for forgiveness, for strength, for guidance, for wisdom? We want to pray with you and for you. Again, just step forward or talk with us privately and ask. Do you love me more than these? By implication, Jesus is asking each one, of that to, each one of us that very question today. Whatever it might be that might be holding you back, do you love me more than these? If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?